All right, here we go. This is measurement episode. <laughs> <laughs> that long pause, I was really thinking you had something good. Where our continuing mission is to explore what makes Star Trek proper Star Trek and not solo character moments. Anyway, <laughs> hi, this is measure of an episode where, as you know, where our continuing mission is to explore what makes Star Trek proper Star Trek and not just solo character moments and... <laughs> and just rip-offs of Voyager episodes. <laughs> yes. I'm Jonathan, and Paul's going to share with us what the three criteria are. The criteria by which we judge these episodes. Number one, does it have science fiction in it? Is there science fiction? Is there an expression of science fiction woven, as Jonathan would say, like a tapestry <laughs> through the episode? Yeah, that was all me. <laughs> Number two, is there an expression of morality woven through the episode? Like a tapestry. Like a tapestry. <laughs> <laughs> and those are the three criteria. So this week we watched Doctor's Orders, which is episode 16 of season three of Enterprise. And I don't have the blurb pulled up while in command of the enterprise because the entire true let me start over on that one while oh, in like command of us? the enterprise uh, at least i have it at least i have it in front of me at least i can read it and now i can't read it at least i can't read it while in command of the enterprise because the entire crew is in a coma which is like the worst sentence ever i feel like it should be while while the entire crew is in a coma dr flox is in command and starts hearing some strange sounds it's like they have too many, whatever they're called, dangling modifier. No, that's probably not what it is. But you know what I mean. Yes, so it, it should say due to instead of because. I feel like that yes. would make it flow a lot better. Well, they should have started with the entire crew is in a coma, period. <laughs> I just leave it at that. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> oh, that would be so great. Like, I feel like they should put these blurbs as all, things that, like, are way more intriguing like that. Yeah. Yeah, but they just, I mean, in this in this particular case, it does seem to encapsulate the the whole episode oh for sure but yeah it, but it's it's not very interesting it doesn't make me want to watch the episode right but if it said the entire crew is in a coma i would be like what what yeah, like, yeah. why is that right and yeah. the episode would start with it looking like the entire crew is in a coma there's nobody on the bridge there's nobody in the mess hall there's nobody in the hallways <laughs> yeah which is cool it's like an alien uh homage yeah you know i guess and aliens but aliens was an homage to aliens but yeah, this is this is how Alien starts, and so I, I don't know if they meant to do that. They must have. There, yeah, there were uh, lots must of have. homages going on in this episode. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, I I liked it. I thought it was kind of cool. Um. I I but I so here's the thing. I I love Doctor Flocks. I could watch I could watch a whole movie of just him walking around talking to himself. <laughs> I think it's great. I don't know why I like him. I, I just him just watching him be weird. Yeah, and watching him just—I I like Walker you hate his diction. I like the diction. Yeah, I don't like that we are not thrust into the action. We're sort of just slowly drifting into it uh, without a paddle. <laughs> We're just kind of like, well, maybe we'll encounter some plot at a certain point. Right? Know? No, yeah, there was definitely like—I mean, it was—it was a character episode. There, there really wasn't a whole lot. There was a plot given so the character could do something, but without any guest stars and with it being just about him, like this was a textbook bottle episode. Yes. And, and it was, I don't, I, I don't, I don't feel like they hit the mark as they should have. I, I felt like there were some not sloppy, but just poorly executed, um, turns in the show. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 
first of all, I feel like Phlox would have definitely eaten Porthos at a certain point. Right? <laughs> well, sure, naturally. Like, yeah. I mean, I, especially as he starts to descend into madness, I feel like there would be a point where he's eating because he eats everything else on the show. What? What? Where, he's where like known from? for eating weird. He, he eats weird stuff. He breeds weird leeches and stuff. He even feeds them to Porthos at a certain point, which yeah, I think he's just fattening him up. Right, but he doesn't randomly start gorging on things. It's not like Flocks. Flocks, that's a communicator. Please stop. <laughs> oh God, if they did that, it'd be so good. <laughs> like he's just—he's a genius. He's a genius physician, goat. but he has this problem where he just can't stop eating. <laughs> You're eating my hand as we speak. I am not. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, they, everybody has to carry around like water squirt bottles right. to stop him from eating stuff. No, he, it's not like I who just like just dive on top of Porthos and start eating him. But he would have, you know, he would have killed him and frozen him or or tanned him for t- to eat at a certain point. Well, I he think. almost did. Well, that was in protection, not to eat. Maybe he would have eaten him later. It's like, well, I can't let him go to waste. Well, yeah, I, I absolutely. I feel like if if Porthos had died, plus it was four days. Like this, you know, obviously it was a descent into madness over the course of four days, but it was right. four days. That's the thing about this episode. I I feel like it should have been over the course of six months, which is what the Voyager episode did. It, it was over the course of a very extended amount of time, right? Um, with with seven of nine, and it just felt like you can't hang on to yourself for four days. This is what happens after four days of isolation. I mean, if only I had four days of isolation, right? You that would be great. Haven't in like these last eight months? <laughs> no, literally by myself, where okay. I have no one to talk to. Like okay. where I have a, truly an entire ship to myself. Yeah, I, I, how like you'd have to be on a ship, like on a boat, by yourself in the ocean for four days. Right. Uh, that would be m- miserable for me, though. I would. I would have. It would have to be this specific thing where I'm on a spaceship. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not going to work. <laughs> With fake gravity. I feel like four days. I would. I. I. I like being alone sometimes. I. There's. I. I don't need to be. I don't need interaction with people once a day or something like that. Like I. I, I am sort of a loner in that sense, and I kind of need a cave to, to go into every once in a while. And so I. I th- this kind of uh, scenario is c- kind of attractive to me. Obviously not with the craziness aspect, but it just seems like oh, this is cool. I get a break from every from everything. I can do whatever I want. Like, and he does. Like, he walks around naked, which I thought was a nice touch. Well, yeah, and he's he's not in a situation. I mean, well, it's kind of weird for a physician to be doing that, but um, it it goes back to like he's he's not he's not for lack of wanting, you know. So like, it doesn't go back to um, but to to repeat like your your point, like he's he's got everything that he could want. So you know, if you if you were in isolation the way that I was just describing, like you'd be on a boat all by yourself, but you'd still be struggling for like food or that kind of thing. But if you were somehow on a cruise ship all by yourself, where the kitchen was open to you, the movies were open to you, the pool was open to you, like four days is not enough time. Right. No, I, yeah, I mean, I agree. I I think two weeks would be enough. <laughs> well, so whenever I, I'm kind of attracted to the, the genre of the kind of last man on earth. Right. Uh, scenario where, you know, I, I don't want you post-apocalyptic, not necessarily post-apocalyptic, but just everybody's dead except you. And you have your, you basically have your, you can have your, your run of the town. I, that sounds really fun to me. Obviously, I would get tired of it, you know, but the idea of like, I'm going to go to the movies right now and start a movie and just watch it, right? The right. movie theater and just watch it. I'm going to go and just do, just do whatever I want. And it's just, I don't, there's something attractive to, to about that. I don't know why. For example, the the pilot of 
the last man on earth is so much fun for me to watch. Um, it's, it's very, I, I guess vicarious. Is that, can I yeah. make that a yeah. noun? Um, the essence of vicarity. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Do you have any of this? Am I by myself on this? No, I completely agree. I think, but it's one of those things where it, it's a no win situation. Like I, I don't know how I would be with the last man on earth, uh, after, you know, X amount of time, but having four days, knowing, knowing when it would cut off, you know, if like I'm all by myself and there's nobody in the this city for four days for whatever reason i have access to all the fast food all the grocery stores all the movie theaters all the museums the playgrounds the pools everything i would probably stay home like having access to all of it just makes me feel comfortable like if i was stuck at home and everything was shut down and i wasn't allowed to go i would be dying to go to the movies or go to the playgrounds or the museums or parks or whatever right you know, but it's one of those things where, like, the fact that the option is there, I would probably just enjoy the silence and solitude in my house. Yeah, that kind of goes along with the anticipation of something almost being better than the actual thing itself. For example, I, I always like I like the ritual of going to dinner and then going to the movies. Right. Especially if it's a movie that I've been waiting to see. And usually by the time the movie has ended, I'm like, I just, I wasn't like, oh, that was, that was great. You know, I mean, it was a nice experience, but I actually look forward to it. I enjoy looking forward to the event probably just as much, maybe even a little bit more than the actual event itself. Yeah, I would say the movie has to be pretty good to, to really like enjoy that whole experience. Because, you know, if you're, if you're disappointed halfway through the movie, you're kind of, or, you know, you're just kind of at that point suffering through it so you can get back home. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, even if it's a perfect experience, there's something about because you look forward to it for days, weeks, months. Yeah. And that's there. That's more of an that's an extended uh, pleasant experience rather than just a couple of hours that you're actually doing the thing. Right. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, I <laughs> so mean, we? right. So we're we're talking about an episode that has nothing to do with anybody <laughs> except Dr. Block. And oh, oh the, so I have to ask. I okay. have to ask. Okay. So when T'Pol shows up. Uh-huh. Did you immediately, were you immediately like, well, she's definitely not real, right? Well, yes. He'd already walked around naked. Like if, if she had been part of the crew originally, then he wouldn't be walking around naked. There, there would be a chance that she would run into him or vice versa. And so he wouldn't have done that. Yeah, that's a good point. Very good point. I yeah. didn't even think about that. Damn it. <laughs> there's, there's also a moment later on where he is taught. This is just from the, the continuity notes uh, where she mentions his... Uh, hallucinations to that, the, like the conversation he had with Hoshi. Was that who it was? I think it's Oshi, isn't it? Oshi or Hoshi? You're asking me what a character's name is? No, like, was <laughs> was that the person mistake. that that he had talked to? You know, she. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um. Yeah. And he, he, no one else was part of that conversation, and so unless he went on and shared it with others, that was another clue that she was part of his brain only. I don't know. I think I felt like if they had handled the reveal of T'Pol being conscious. It would have been – they could have just done it and I don't know what that way is off the top of my head. But there's got to be a better way than the way they did where she just shows up. There's got to be some way where you can make that less jarring where it doesn't set off alarms in my in, in my movie brain. Where it just felt like, oh, this is weird. Something is awkward. Unless that wasn't the intention where I'm supposed to be wondering. But I felt like the reveal at the end of the episode is is I'm supposed to think that she was awake the whole time. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I, I think that's interesting because I, like you said, you can't think of another way and I, I can't think of one either uh, because I, I thought that the way that they handled it was pretty fine. Like he just says in conversation, 
you know, you could have said something. And she was like, I was running diagnostic, you know, I was distracted by everything else. And she hadn't been seen previously about how everyone would have to be comatose. Uh, so I thought that, yeah. you know, I, I I don't know of a better way it could have been done. And I thought that the way that they handled it was pretty well, was pretty good. The the whole scenario, though, can we talk about that for a second? So the, the scenario of we want to get around this this area of space and where we, we don't want to take the two weeks to go around it. It's going to take us four days to get through it. But so, so that in and of itself right there is like not worth the risk. It's, it's how many, 10 days um, of extra time. And they say like, okay, so if you're awake and, and we go through this space, you're going to die and you're a human, you're going to be dead. Right. And so, and so something might go wrong as things often do in this, on the ship. Things often go wrong with the ship. So he has a conversation with Skip and Skip says, look, you need to wake me up. I'm, I'm making this easy for you. If something goes wrong, wake me up. I'll fix it. I'm going to die, but everybody else will be safe. Why are we taking the risk here? It's not like we're going to say, well, we want to go through this very important part of space. It'll take us three and a half years to get to or six months. That to me seems like better stakes than saving 10 days. Right. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just this whole scenario doesn't seem like why are we why are you risking this? This doesn't seem worth it. Right. Well, and like they that's basically Chekhov's gun, you know, saying if anything goes wrong, you need to wake me up. And it would have been right. it would have been neat if he like it did just really start to fall apart and he did wake up trip. And yeah. um, like, it, well, he he woke him up. But then kind of like what happened with T'Pol where she was, you know, freaking out and she wasn't able to help him. And the reason why she couldn't help him was because she wasn't there. Kind of the same thing. Like Trip immediately starts having negative reactions to to the dry, you know, to the, the space field that they're in. And so he right. can't he can't help. And so ultimately, you know, Phlox, quote unquote, woke him up for no reason. And so then, you know, Phlox has to continue dealing with the ship. Like it would have been cool if it was a little bit more like the Crusher episode where his hallucination was more about his own failures and anxieties and the ship was essentially falling apart around him and he was struggling to keep it afloat as it were. And it turned out to be almost entirely in his head. That's a great idea. That's how they should have done it. I mean, I, I mean, comedically, he should have been waking people up just with every small sound. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> but no, I love your idea. I love the idea that in his mind, he has sacrificed, you know, up to the up to the captain. Right. right. He he doesn't know what to do, that he is so insecure with his ability to cope with a with a, a dangerous scenario that he he is willing to kill his own captain. Yeah. Um, to just to get through this this ordeal. And then he wakes up. I, that's 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 so much better. Yeah, I liked how they handled to Paul. I felt like once, even though I knew what was happening, the idea that well, she never touches anything. She can't read anything. She only knows what Phlox knows. Mm -hmm. she, she has no more information. So they handled that really well. I just I, once so once they got into it, I felt like it was good. I just I felt like I I, I was disappointed that I couldn't watch this and not have the reveal at the end. Right. I wanted to be the. I wanted to have the ignorance until I was not supposed to anymore. Yeah. Well, there were a couple moments near the end where I was actually beginning to think, I was like, Oh, maybe I'm remembering it wrong. Maybe she, she was awake the whole time. Uh, yeah. And they held it as long as they could. Cause they wanted you to, maybe they felt like, well, there's not going to, there's going to be people who call it right. Mm -hmm. Just by accident. Mm -hmm. So that maybe they wanted to extend it out as long as they possibly could. 
to make you think that. And actually I had the same thought. I was like, Oh, maybe, maybe she is real. You know, maybe this is just a, a flocks to Paul episode. Right. Um, but yeah, but it may, it started to make, I don't know. They, they had little cues and everything. Oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah. The fact that trip didn't acknowledge her at all when he like walked by. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I wasn't, I, I, I didn't notice that, but that makes a lot of sense. Oh, and then just that moment at the end where he says it wasn't as lonely as I expected it to be or something. And she gives a right. look of like, what do you mean? You know, <laughs> but like if somebody said that, I'd be like, oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I don't know exactly what you mean, but I could do some math in my head as to what, you know, it might mean. Like there were some personal things that you went through or you had Porthos or you watched some movies. Right, right. <laughs> right. I would not be confused by that statement to the point where it would reflect upon my face. I would be conversationally pleasant. <laughs> You're not going to immediately run to your quarters, get into the shower naked and start, you know, hugging yourself. Right, right. Well, especially if... <laughs> what did you mean? What did you mean? Especially if I'm an emotionless Vulcan. Like... <laughs> Wait a minute. Can we talk about Vulcans for a second? Sure. I had this thing. This has nothing to do with this episode. Okay. And may or may not even end up in the final I thing. I feel like if we don't talk about things not related to this episode, this will be a 15-minute podcast episode. <laughs> I agree. So Vulcans, it always feels like when they, when any Vulcan, not just T'Pol, but uh, T'Pol is a good little microcosm of this. Mm -hmm. Whenever any other race who is not a Vulcan talks to a Vulcan, there's always this sense of them being at best annoyed by the other races. There's always a sense of they're being put out that there's a, a grand sense of superiority over any other race and and so I get that. I'm, I I understand that that is that that is the Vulcan thing. That's what Vulcans do. Even Tuvok was that way. I think Spock, in some ways, felt that he was superior to humans. And so my question is, why do Vulcans then continue to interact with other races? <laughs> what is the point? They've they've achieved warp and they have achieved technological advancement uh, by themselves. So why why do they bother? What they seem to just be totally put out at all times as to talking to with these with these other races. So why why don't they go back to Vulcan? I guess they can't anymore. Why don't they go to another oh. planet? And I don't feel sorry for them. <laughs> Vulcans are dicks. The kind of outside canon is uh, Gene Roddenberry did not want to introduce Vulcans in the first season of Next Generation, and when they when he either stepped back or passed away or something they wanted a familiar alien race to provide conflict and so they reintroduced vulcans and vulcans just kind of turned into the point of conflict and in so doing they became character conflict which was to be adversarial and condescending and <laughs> just overall d-bags i mean i could see why they feel superior to humans they're sort right. of a I could, I, but it's not. It doesn't seem to be contained to humans, right? Like, are they are they just racist? Um, I mean, they 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 kind of could be, like, because they they believe that they have overcome their emotions. You know, they've perfected that. So anyone who expresses emotions clearly does not have the same level of control that they do. And I mean, like you said specifically to humans, you know, we're we're a backwoods race, basically. You know, we're neanderthalic in in nature because we we haven't advanced to the same way that to the same level that they have now did you say backwoods sort of saying backwards in a east coast accent backwoods 
Or did you say backwoods? As in, I like said backwoods, like rednecks. Yeah. Now I can't not hear you say that and be like backwoods. <laughs> where you park the car? I think you've been out in Jersey too many times. <laughs> I know. I know it's a thing. I guess another explanation that I can just make up is that yes, they hate everybody, but they realize that they gain just as much as they they give in terms of being part of the federation. Yeah, I suppose they they realize the symbiosis that's happening. Uh, and so they 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 endure <laughs> these terrible other races. Well, yeah, I think like once once they've developed the Federation, there was definitely the, a little bit more of an understanding. Like even if they gained one tenth from the ten other races that are there um, compared to the the hundred percent that they're giving, it's still an equal equal balance. If there's ten races, if it's anything more than ten percent from each race, they're now gaining more than they're giving. Well, they probably would look at it with that kind of mathematical outlook too mm-hmm. they seem to be like, why hasn't there been an episode in any of the shows about a vulcan who has taken it upon themselves to genetically extract emotion so whatever whatever is in our genes that makes us emotional uh they extract and it's no longer there I, I would guess because the the whole point of controlling your emotions is exactly that it's it's to have the power to control your emotions if you have them removed, then you're you're not showing any willpower over them, and you know that that doesn't show internal strength. That's a very but that's a very practical, sane approach as to why Vulcans do what they do. I'm talking about like take the extreme uh, character, a villain of a movie or show, and say this person wants to achieve this highest level of emotionlessness, and that is literally extracting the emotion from their body. And I could see that being a very interesting villain of some kind yeah. where where you take a crazy Vulcan, crazy Vulcans, <laughs> which wouldn't work in and of itself. But obviously, this is somebody who struggled with controlling their emotions. Yeah, per- exactly. Exactly. And that would be the backstory. And so they extract this thing and it makes them weird. It makes them. Uh, do you watch Fargo? No. So in Fargo, one of the greatest things about the show uh, not the movie, but well, the movie too, but more so the show is there. They have these super eccentric, interesting characters that are right. on the show. Mm-hmm. And it's almost as though you watch the show, not so much for the overarching plot, but for just to watch these characters interact in the world. And so I would want, it would be like that where you just have this amazing, really well thought out. Okay. What would happen if you just removed emotion? Cause emotion has, you know, it has meaning. It has, it has use. In every, even for Vulcans, I think. I mean, I think Vulcans look at it as a sense of discipline in a way. Right. Uh, yeah. So, what would happen to this person psychologically? They obviously would go crazy in some way, or they, I guess, uh, maybe that we're, we're describing sociopaths right now, where they <laughs> they have no emotion. Maybe that's we see these every day. But I don't know. It seems like that would be something that a Vulcan would do, especially in, with an advanced culture where they have the medical technology to do so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it would be a really cool but, story. I. I I'm trying to, you know, it would just be like Vulcans are random. I, I guess randomly being abducted, like right before their pawn far just like, cause, yeah, because I feel like that would be the the only time to really test whether or not it's working is. Well, would they have it? Would they have pawn far? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, the, so they would. So this this scientist, the, this Vulcan, you know, is discredited and cast out and whatever. And then years later um they they've realized that people who are not even realized it's just that people who are coming up to their pond far are going missing and 
you know, and then just through whatever they discover that it's it's this scientist who is taking these these Vulcans who are about to have this emotional explosion and using his experiments to ex- extract their emotion, remove their emotions uh, and see, you know, whether or not they they still have Ponfar. And it could be that the the buildup and the anguish that like to to have that build up and then suddenly to have no release is actually driving the Vulcans emotionally, emotionlessly mad, mm-hmm. which would be really difficult to portray. <laughs> <laughs> He's have a guy standing there emotionless. He's like, what's wrong with him? He's having a psychotic episode. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, it and would it, be difficult to do by removing all of these emotions. You remove some sort of other part that some sort of catharsis that goes away in the body and so they just drive them like they have to commit suicide or they have to go kill people or, you know, they they've in a sense made themselves more emotional right. and, and more impulsive by removing those things that they thought would help with them. Well, yeah. And it's uh, it, it's interesting, too, because, you know, kind of the same thing with data, like when he's curious about things like I, curiosity is an emotion. And, you know, when when Vulcans want something that is that is an emotion. So. There, there is some there. I don't want to say like area of gray, but there's there's some clarification between the emotions that are being felt. Like desire is clearly there, and curiosity is is clearly there. But happiness and sadness and anger and well, I, I was going to say annoyance, mm. but that's not one because clearly they're annoying. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it would be interesting because he would have to set alarms on when to eat. And set alarms on when to sleep, I guess. And and because I think that our emotions inform all of those things just by use of hormones, I guess. So I, I don't know. It, w- it would be interesting to flesh that out in a storyline just to make it interesting. Right. Like what, what kind of odd things does this person now have to do? And maybe you'd have somebody who was helping him navigate kind of the way in – not Insurrection. Uh, what was the last next-gen movie? Nemesis. Uh, Nemesis, yeah. Picard, the young Picard, whatever his name was uh, – he had a disease of some Shinzon. kind and he had his Shinzon, Bane. which which totally messes me up whenever the prime minister of Japan is in the news. I'm like, Shinzon, Shinzon's back. <laughs> and he's the leader of Japan for some reason. <laughs> is there anything else in this episode? I guess there's one, there's one thing that happens that I hate. Another pet peeve. Okay. In this type of genre where it's kind of horror, psychological horror type of thing, where – Inevitably, the character, the main character, hears something that is abnormal and so has has to go investigate. And in it, the and the investigate has to be the character slowly creeping around corners and calling out, you know, a name or something, and then calling out again how the, how not funny this is. And it's usually a really extended scene where they're quote unquote trying to build tension. But in reality, it's just boring, and I'm waiting. I want to. I want to fast forward until the part where we actually get to see what's happening, right? right? Because it just it's it's so like hello. Well, <laughs> it it just god damn it! Like come up with something better than that. Does you have to creep around the, the ship for two and a half minutes where ultimately somebody jumps? It's the dog. So I'm I'm totally fine with you saying like it's it's boring and you just want to fast forward through it. But that's absolutely what happens. You know, having <laughs> having two little girls, they. If one of them is hiding in the dark room, the other one will stand outside it and say, hello. And then you know, be like, Susie, Susie, it's not funny. Yeah. You yeah. know, so 
So it, it absolutely do, is what happens. But I, I you know, I, I can totally agree with you saying that it's boring to watch. <laughs> well, just because I've seen it before. Right, right. You know, I, I, it's it's been used forever. Yeah. And I'm just ready for a new way to create tension. Well, so, I mean, just speaking of a new way of creating tension, have you seen The Ring? Is that the VHS one where if you don't yeah. show, a, if you don't mail a VHS? No, yeah, yeah, yes, it is. Uh, yes, I only saw it once in the theaters and I remember being creepy. So, right. So one of the things that they do in the very first, in the, in the first like, uh, scenes is there's, there's somebody who hears a noise up in the attic and they go up into the attic and we see the girl before the, the hunter does. So the tension is now, oh yeah, no, there's definitely something there. And now we're just waiting for the person to see it. Right. And and yeah. it was yeah. it was so well done. Like it was probably like the most nail biting moment in in a in recent film that I I can that I can remember. And is that the one where they have the really creepy kind of guttural sound? Yes. That, that is sort of indicated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That they did a good job with yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and I I felt like that's something that only occasionally happens where there is an an audio or or an oral uh, indicator of the bad guy. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess you could say, you know, in the, the most famous version of that is the Jaws theme. Right. Uh, musically, they do that. I think more so now it's more of a sound effect. But I, I feel like that's that's a great way to do that. Like we we are we're very susceptible, more so orally than visually to that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think. <clears throat> yeah, no, I'd agree um, with that. But yeah, that they, I think he does that a couple of times. Flocks does it a couple of times in this. I'm just like, yeah. Oh. Well, yeah, just, and the first is just to anybody, and then later it's to to Paul. Yeah, the oh, the creaking noise uh, that that bothered me because it was the creaking noise of submarines under pressure, and oh, yeah. mm-hmm. you know there there's literally no pressure on the outside of the ship. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I feel like it should have been the the banging of something and not the creaking of something. But yeah, I mean, you could tell that they were they wanted to make a horror episode, right? And they they decided that they didn't want to be necessarily creative in it. They wanted to to nest comfortably within the genre, and so they just used all the tropes that you use. Yes, you know? and you know, in their defense, though, so whether there's pressure from the outside or pressure from the inside, there could be creaking either way. If that does that help. <laughs> Does that, does that help you? Does this I make guess, the episode much better? But the like, there's not an increased level of pressure from the inside. Yeah, that's true. So they're not. Yeah, they're not descending into something or or where the where the pressure. There's a the the pressure differential is the same no matter where they are. I guess right, right. Right. So there there shouldn't be that level of creaking. Like I mean, obviously it's flocks hallucinating, so you know it can be whatever sound they want it to be. But but just the fact that he was getting weirded out by creaking noises kind of threw me off. You know, I mean, I guess if I was in a ship where there shouldn't be any creaking noises and suddenly there were, I guess I'd be weirded out too. So maybe, maybe I'm okay with it. They kind of just stepped too far outside of their own universe for this episode. They, they didn't, their, their solutions to these problems was kind of just basic. It's like, well, we scanned, there was nobody there. You must be crazy. All right. Well, maybe I'm just, you know, you're right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's on me. It's on me. Yeah. <laughs> And so I don't know. I felt like there could have been a better science fiction aspect to this. Speaking of that, did you think that this was a uh, a proper science fiction? <laughs> My brain just stopped working temporarily. <laughs> did you think that this was a proper Star Trek episode? No, uh, I don't. I don't think that there was <laughs> a. An, there there wasn't an ethical or moral dilemma. 
you know, it, it wasn't like he was deliberating whether or not he should wake the officers up. And there there wasn't any dilemma about what he should do through the episode. And then the, the sci-fi aspect of it, I mean, the, the induced comas, well, actually, no. You can have medically induced comas. That's the thing. You can um, do that now. I think just the the re yeah yeah I would say this the there is a sci-fi like the reason for why they were in comas was definitely a a sci-fi element. It wasn't really integral to the show. It could have been any reason that they were that they were knocked out though. I, I just in the they had a virus and they were waiting for a cure. Yeah, no, that's true. That's fair. I, I don't think it's a. Star- I don't know why I'm arguing in. Uh, it's, it's like saying, well, it's orange. Yeah, but in its defense, it's orange. Like, that's what I just <laughs> right, said. Right, you're like yeah. you're like not only is it the second one, but it's also not the first one. So it's even more not an episode. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, I will say that the the moral aspect I could could be that. Well, I don't know that that he he could have woken Trip up and he didn't. Right, right he could have, but it, it he it was never an argument as like he he didn't deliberate on it. You know, it's kind of like the 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 I forget what episode that was, but it was the oh my gosh, what episode was that? Where we we're talking about like that could have been the moral or ethical debate, but it wasn't there. Like he very clearly took yeah, a stance on it. I don't remember which episode that was. Where it was more of a personal internal struggle than it was any sense of external morality that was happening that they have to, that he had to work with. It wasn't as though does the captain deserve to die (laughs) in this moment? Oh, it was LaForge. It was LaForge. It was the, the episode with the, um, with the parasite and he, you know, we were saying like whether or not he, he should have, he should be getting involved in with the, uh, with the suspect, you know, yes, that is an ethical or moral oh, dilemma, right. but he very right. clearly took his position on it. <laughs> it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't for us to decide. He'd already made made the decision, right? Yeah, and this is kind of the same thing. Like the the ethical or moral dilemma would have been should he wake should he wake up Trip, but he it it was already decided at the beginning that he was not going to, and so there was never there was there was never a question of whether or not he would. He does. I mean, he he has this conversation with an imaginary character, but he has it nonetheless. Where at the where everything is going wrong and he's trying to engage the warp core and to Paul says we should wake up trip. And, and he says, no, I'm not ready to do that. I, I don't know. I don't remember if he struggles with that for a moment. If he's, I, I would think that if he struggled with it, if there was like a pause that that would, that would be, that would satisfy the criteria that he's having that dilemma of you're right. Billions of people. Cause she says, billion, am I willing to sacrifice one person for the sake of billions of people? Right. And so I don't. I actually don't know why it, billions of people were at stake in that moment. Is there something that we missed? Are they on some sort of journey? That yeah, that they're doing. Is... They're doing something to stop the Zindi. Uh, I don't remember if it's. I'm. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure at the end of this season they actually don't make it, and the Zindi do destroy a part of the Earth. Oh, okay, I'm pretty sure that's what happens. Okay, well that makes sense. So I guess, but but so there is that moment, but I don't know if he's always. Uh, holding strong to, I'm not going to kill somebody just to save my own life. Uh, I can do this. I don't know. I don't remember. Well, he says, he says not yet. He says like, I'm not ready yet. Or, you know, let me, let me do this last thing or something like that. I like that. Another explosion happens off screen. He's like, all right, I'm ready. ready. Let's go. (laughs) Now I'm ready. Let's do this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Not a proper Star Trek episode. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a great character episode. Um, and it was, it, it was a good it was, it was a good TV episode. This wasn't schlock by any stretch of the imagination, but it just wasn't proper Star Trek. This could have been planted in any any series anywhere. Right. I think I mean, if I were to just 
I agree. It was well made. I think that, I mean, not, it was well made for what it was, I think. I think right. they could have done better in the creativity aspect of it. I felt oh, like yeah. there were different ways to have this because it was just sort of a, oh, he goes crazy. And then at the end, we find out that he was crazy and none of this thing, like that. That's been done a million times. So I felt right. like there were ways to do that better to do. If you're going to do a bottle episode like this, where it's just one character, there are more creative things that one could do. Yes. But well made nonetheless. I think it, it was fun to be, I guess, with flocks for me, but obviously not enough. Not enough. It's fun to be with flocks for me. <laughs> it does sound like I'm beginning a sonnet, doesn't it? <laughs> or we're about to break in a song. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So should we figure out what we're watching next? Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess audience, I I apologize for this being one of our shorter episodes. <laughs> um, but uh, I guess with a with a character episode where the the plot was so straight, I mean, there wasn't even a B plot to this, was there? there no, not really. It's not not really. Yeah. I, I guess there's the Porthos plot where. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, I mean, this episode was so so straightforward. There were at most two actors in it at any given time. The it just there there's not really a whole lot to delve into in this episode. Yeah, not, not really. So if you're if you're unhappy with this, please let us know. If you liked this episode and you prefer they be shorter, please let us know. If you have an episode <laughs> that you would like us to review and analyze, you can become a patron member uh, and let us know. And Basically, let us know you're out there. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Are we talking into a blank room? That's what we want to know. And we don't know. Because <laughs> nobody will email us. At all. Like, we've had we've had one Nothing. review on Facebook, which is, is great. Thank you to yeah. the, the listener who did that. Chet is his name. You know, any any reviews on our podcasts, any emails sent to us at themeasureofanepisode at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you guys. We just want to know that you're out there. Even if you just sent an email and said, I'm here. That would be fascinating. Yeah. Or nothing. Just send us an email. It's just blank. send us an email completely blank. Let, let the mystery yeah. be on us. <laughs> uh, have we begged enough? Well, yeah. I mean, are, so we, are we pathetic we, enough? Well, let's make this a 40-minute episode, you know, and let's just fill in the rest of the time with, <laughs> with compromising. the email address? Incentives, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, we we absolutely enjoy doing this. We want to continue doing it. Um, but also to the to the same extent, we also don't want to continue doing this to an empty room, as Paul said. So, if you are out there, if you are enjoying this, please do let us know. Um, just so just so we know that there's there's somebody out there who's who's actually enjoying this along with us. So, I think that's absolutely. It. All right, now let's figure out what we're watching next. Voyager, season seven, episode thirteen. Wow. Which is prophecy. So I, <laughs> the pause there was because it's a obviously a Klingon uh, episode. I was thinking, well, um, speaking of Klingon, this episode was directed by Bolana, Roxanne Dawson. Oh, okay. Well, all right, we'll do it. Voyager finds a Klingon ship that left the Alpha Quadrant eighty years before, whose captain claims that Bolana's child is a Klingon savior. God, do we have to do this one? Can we just? <laughs> I'm sorry. I can the, just do that. So here's what happens. So so the generator, it, it's something. It's messing with us because it says seven thirteen, season seven, episode thirteen, and then the title says repentance. But on Netflix, it says repentance is episode twelve, and prophecy is episode thirteen, and repentance says Voyager rescues a prison warden and a set of prisoners who are scheduled to be executed, testing the crew members' own ethical beliefs. So I know that doesn't sound really any better than prophecy, <laughs> but at least it sounds like it's not a Klingon episode. 
Right. I guess I can't. We can't do this, right? Like, yeah. Well, I think we need to figure out what's going on with the generator. But in the meantime, yeah, let's I guess watch just, the episode we'll do, that yeah, we'll do prophecy. Yeah. Um, but what I was saying was this episode, the the one we were just talking about, uh, Doctor's Orders. This was episode. This episode was oh. by Roxana Dawson. Oh, 